our perspective in the trials and difficulties that we face. But today, I want us to take some time to look at this from the enemy's perspective. That might sound backwards, but I think it's important that we know who our enemy is. We face today the enemy of this world system. We face the enemy of our own flesh, but we also face the enemy that is the devil. And he's a real enemy. He's a real enemy. Today, there's two kingdoms at war. I'm not talking about the war between Russia and Ukraine. I'm not talking about the war on drugs or the war on poverty. I'm talking about the longest running conflict in all of human history. It's the battle between good and evil. It's the battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. One kingdom is ruled by the almighty God of the universe. The other is ruled by Satan himself. One king loves this world and sent his only begotten son to die for their sin. But the other king hates God and hates his people. One is working to save the lost and the other is working to bring as many to destruction as he possibly can. It's important to know your enemy. One ancient general, Chinese man by the name of Sun Tzu wrote this book called The Art of War. And he said this, If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. He said, If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. That's just the thought of a worldly philosopher, but he was hitting at some truth there. Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he said this, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We understand that we are in a spiritual battle. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture this morning. So if you would, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 first with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul here as he finishes this letter to the church at Ephesus, this church that he obviously loved very much. He had spent several years of his life ministering in the city of Ephesus. And they had seen God do great things in that city. Paul writes to them in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We just sang about that in our last song, O Church of Rise, and put your armor on. Why do you need to put your armor on? He says, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There's our enemy mentioned right there. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness 
in high places. These are difficult days to have a courageous vision for God's work because we face a powerful enemy. This statement was made by Supreme Court Justice Scalia back in, on April 22, 1996. He said this, Devout Christians are destined to be regarded as fools in modern society. That was 1996. Now, kind of a long time ago, over 25 years ago, hard to believe 1996, 25 years ago, but was. And he's not wrong. I think today, though, for many people, they would prefer to just ignore the fact that there's an enemy. Pretend that it doesn't exist, that he is no trouble, that if we just try hard enough, we can kind of figure life out on our own. And if people just leave me alone, I'll just live my life peacefully by myself. I don't really want any conflict. Well, my friend, this morning, if you are a believer, you are in a conflict. So to pretend that you can live life free from conflict is to pretend that somehow you don't live in this world. In this world ye shall suffer persecution. But Jesus said, fear not. Even though you'll suffer tribulation in this world, he said, fear not, for I have overcome the world. I want us to see first this morning about this enemy, and we'll refer back to our uh, chapters in Acts a little bit as well. But first of all, I want to see that our enemy has a clear purpose. He has a clear purpose. He's not playing games. It's not like he's just sort of trying from time to time to maybe do a little bit here or there. He has a clear purpose. And let's look at some passages from Paul's writings himself to see what his purpose is, what our enemy's purpose is. We see that his purpose is to devour. What does 1 Peter 5, 8 say? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may <clears throat> devour. Did you know the devil's looking for you? He's seeking whom he may devour. Leave me alone. Don't pay attention to me. Let me just live my life in peace. In fact, you see many Christians who would choose to try to live their life so as not to attract attention. He's seeking whom he may devour. His purpose is to chew you up and spit you out, to devour you. He doesn't want you living for Christ. Amen. He wants to devour you. Say, that, that's graphic. It is. And Scripture uses the imagery of a lion to help us picture this. You say, I, I don't like that very much. Well, my friend, this is the battle that you're in. And if you don't know your enemy, you're not going to be able to stand against him. Be sober. That means wake up. Have a clear mind. Be like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. His purpose is to devour. 
I think another part of his purpose, though, can be seen in Ephesians 2 and verse 2. His purpose is this, to discourage you from following Christ. Ephesians 2, 2 says, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's your enemy. That's the devil. What does he say in the last part of the verse? The spirit that now worketh in the children, obedience. He doesn't want you to walk with the Lord. He wants to discourage you. You used to go His way. That's one of the tricks that the devil uses. To think that they really weren't in that much trouble before they found the Lord anyway. That they were really pretty pretty much a good person. They were nice. They didn't do too many bad things. Now, let me read to you what the Bible says about your life. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. There's no neutral ground here. You're either on the Lord's side or you're walking according to the course of the prince of the power of, this, of the air, of this world. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We're often lulled into thinking, well, I'm not as bad as he is or as she is. I'm better than them. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Without Christ, you're not on God's side. You're on the devil's side. And so he works to discourage those from following Christ. As Paul was put in prison, it would seem as if the gospel would be hindered. As I was reading again over and over this week, Acts 23 to 26, how discouraging would it be if you were taken and put in prison for trying to share Christ? Would that stop you? Would that stop you from sharing the gospel? Now, I'm thankful in the story that we read of Paul and Acts in prison. It seemed like he had even more opportunities to share Christ even though for some of the time he was locked away, possibly even in solitary confinement. Every time they'd bring him out to put him on trial, he'd proclaim the gospel, proclaim the gospel. He he wasn't so much interested in getting freedom physically for himself. He was interested in preaching the gospel wherever God put him. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He he wants to discourage us, to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. He said it this way in Philippians 1, 13 and 14, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Satan's purpose is to devour, it's to discourage. People are fearful when they see what takes place. Paul says, my prayer is that when they see me in bonds, they're more encouraged to go and share the gospel. say, why would that encourage somebody? Well, they look at Paul. If he could say, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, even when he's locked in prison. If he can sing in the prison cell where the Philippian jailer hears him and knows this man, there's something different about him. When Paul and Barnabas are locked in prison, people say, there must be something real in that guy's life. 
We don't have to be discouraged by the work of the devil. No, he wants you to be discouraged. Instead, we can take heart and hope that God is faithful and he's with us, even in the darkest places that we face, even in the most difficult times in our life. The Lord is with you. The devil wants to discourage you and say, look at you, you're in a dark place. Paul, look at you, you're locked up in prison. God clearly doesn't love you. If he loved you, you wouldn't be in prison. If God was really powerful, Paul, he set you free. Paul, don't you know these other times the chains just fell out, fell off? Why doesn't God do it this time? Paul, have you messed up? Paul, are you not really serving God anymore? Boy, it took a, a very close relationship with God for Paul to write in Philippians chapter 4, I found in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Amen. Is your relationship with God such that if the devil comes along trying to discourage you by allowing and bringing difficulty in your life, that you can still look to the Lord and say, I found in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know the Lord's with me. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 8 that we are to think on things that are true, lovely, honest, that are of good report. If there be any virtue, any praise... Think on these things. Why do we need to think on those things? Because there's a lot in this world that will try to discourage you from following Christ. And if he has your mind, he has you. Whatever has your mind has control over you. If you allow your mind to be discouraged by the things that go on around you and the things that happen to you, you've got to take your mind. As Paul said, he takes every thought captive. Wait a minute, is that thought a right thought? Well, I had it, so it must be a right thought. That's wrong thinking. I can tell you probably a lot of the thoughts that you and I have are not the right thoughts. We have to take that thought and say, okay, thought, how does that match up with God's Word? What does God's Word say about what I'm thinking? Why is this thought right or why is it wrong? Can you answer that question about your thinking? I think if you struggle to answer those questions about the thoughts that you're having, the devil's doing his work to discourage you. How do we know what to think and what is right and what is not? We have God's Word to teach us what to think and how to think. His purpose is to devour. His purpose is to discourage. His purpose is also to destroy. To destroy the work of God. If Paul was in prison, perhaps he thought, then the gospel will stop going forward. But did the gospel stop when Paul was in prison? No. No, in fact, it went to places where it would never have gone, perhaps without Paul being in prison. I read a book a number of years ago by a man named Georgie Vins. Anybody ever heard of Georgie Vins? He was a, a, a pastor back in Soviet Russia. And because of preaching the gospel and refusing to stop, he was locked up, spent eight years in a gulag, in a prison camp up in Siberia for preaching the gospel. You talk about an amazing book because he shares some of his discouragement and despair that he faced, that Man, why am I going through this? And and yet God continued to encourage him little by little by little with all kinds of things that you and I might not find very encouraging. Like finding food in places that 
Uh, he didn't think he'd be able to get food or, or having strength to get through something really difficult. And you'd say, I wouldn't even want to go through that at all. And the atrocities that took place there were just horrible. But God was faithful. He was with him even in those difficult times. Why? Because the enemy has a clear purpose. He wants to stop God's work and he wants to stop God's people. And he's willing to do anything, even to try to kill you for doing those things. The enemy has a clear purpose. I want you to see secondly about the enemy today that he has clever tactics. Boy, he's tricky. He wants to distract you from the truth. That's an easy one that he uses all the time. Jesus said it this way in Mark 4, 15, and these are they by the wayside when the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. He's talking about the different seeds that were being sown. You know, this happens every day. This even happens in church on Sunday morning, doesn't it? As God's word goes out, how many times you felt yourself struggle because of the distraction? Maybe it's just one of those little notifications pops up on your phone, something buzzes in your pocket, somebody's phone goes off, someone's like, oh, i got to get up and go to the bathroom halfway through the service. Whatever it is, there's, just, there's distractions all around us all the time. The distractions come in all kinds of strange ways. Sometimes the distractions are just in our mind, of our mind racing on all kinds of things that we have going on and other struggles or problems or difficulties or other things that need to be accomplished. The devil loves to distract. He loves to come along and just, oh, the word got planted. Oh, don't let it take root. Let's just get it out of there real quick before it has any chance to do any good. You know, I think there's some ways that we can protect against distraction. And we need to be aware that the devil's constantly bringing distraction to us. That's why it's so important to have time where you get alone with the Lord in the Word of God and in prayer. I don't know about you. It seems like every time I get down to pray or read my Bible, though, that's when the phone starts to ring and things start to happen. They're, they're just distraction, distraction, distraction. Amen, Right then? You know, and God uses, or, or, or Satan even uses good people to bring those distractions in our life sometimes, doesn't he? I think people aren't even intending to be distracting, but they are. I, I've had that over and over. You sit down, boy, I need to study this and prepare this message. And then everyone and all their problems comes running in your door right then. And then you're up till three in the morning working on your sermon. I've done that more times than I want to count. Listen, problems are real. They have to be dealt with. But the devil loves to use all kinds of things just to distract us. Sometimes he distracts us with the shiny things of this world too. Well, I have more exciting things to do. Man, church is not that exciting after all. Uh, discipling somebody is really slow. Sanctification takes too much time. Uh, there's something better I could be doing, something more exciting today. Just distraction. Distraction. 
someday when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to be throwing our sports trophies at His feet. Someday when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to say, well, Lord, I, I got to do all this fun stuff in my life. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to be able to have some enjoyment in your day-to-day life. He, he's, he's made things enjoyable and special blessings that we have, even with family time and those kinds of things. But be careful that you don't allow the shiny things of this world to distract you. Because if you're distracted, you probably don't even feel like you're in a battle at all. The devil's already won, and he didn't even really have to fight you. He didn't have to pull out his sharper, more painful weapons because he's just got you distracted. Look over here, look over here, look over here. We live in a world that's so distracted with television, with social media, with cell phones. It's just distracted. Just distracted. And some people will re- re- might react to this and go home and smash their TV or throw their cell phone away. I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm saying, be careful that you're not distracted. You know what we have to do at our house most of the time? Our TV just has to be turned off. There's a little button on there that says off. And you just push it, and it's amazing. Just go away. I would just encourage you, and I know I'm going to pick on somebody here, and not don't take it personally, but if you're the person that your TV's on 24-7, give it a break. Turn it off. And you'll be amazed how much distraction leaves your house. Take your phone, as I started doing it, and put it on do not disturb sometimes and put it away. It's not because I don't want people to call me. It's because I, I have to have some time where I can just put the distractions away and just focus on my relationship with the Lord. Putting away the distractions. It's one of the clever tactics that Satan uses to distract us from following him. Somebody said, well, that sounds weird. Listen, whose army are you on? Are you on the Lord's army or, or are you with, the, with Satan's army? Like, like if you're on a different team, you wear a different jersey, you behave differently, you have different plays and different plans that you're working on because you have a different purpose. And it's to follow the Lord. He wants to distract you from the truth. I think another thing, another tactic that he uses is that he tries to blind people from the truth. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, Paul writes, In whom the God of this world, that's little g, God, the God of this world, talking about Satan, hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I'll never forget, just a month or so ago, as we were in our Jeremiah class on Sunday night, one of the men was sitting there and he got all teary-eyed and he said, why doesn't everybody believe? It's so plain, it's so clear. God's gospel is so wonderful of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He said, it's like people are just blind. And it's true. Because one of the devil's tactics that he uses is to blind us to the truth. How does he do that? By bringing all kinds of other falsehood and all kinds of other, well, how can the truth be true? How do I know which way is right? How do I know which religion is true? How do I know this or that? They're blinded. They're blinded to the truth. 
for the Christian, how do we keep from being blinded by Satan's work? I think the old song says it really well. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But to turn your eyes upon Jesus means you've got to turn your eyes away from this world. You've got to put aside the distractions and focus upon him. It's not just your physical eyes. It's the, it's the eyes of your mind. It's where you focus your attention. This is not talking about spiritual navel gazing or transcendental meditation. No, this is a mind that's not empty. It's a mind that's full of God's Word. It's a mind that's full of truth. It's a life of discipline that says, I'm going to put aside some of these other things, even though they're okay, they're not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but I'm going to put them aside so that I can focus on the Lord. He wants to blind you from the truth, but He also wants to turn you from the truth. He's a great deceiver. And that's what a lie does, right? It, it just twists the truth. It turns you the opposite direction. And the lies of the enemy are very real and very attractive. Jesus, speaking of the devil, says, Ye are of the, your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. No truth. No truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's a liar. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I've talked to people about the gospel before. That just sounds too easy. It's too simple. It is simple. It's the simplicity that is in Christ. We believe the lies of the world sometimes because, well, they've, they've made it a lot more complicated. And, you know, if I do it this way, then I can level up and beat this person out. And it becomes a competition and becomes trying to attain after things for ourselves. He wants to turn you from the truth. Paul wrote about people that were following after Satan and doing his work in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They look good on the outside. And he says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Sometimes when Satan comes up, he looks just like an angel. He sounds good. He seems to be speaking the truth. Everything seems right. It seems good. But he says, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. That's why we must try the spirits. 
We must run everything through the filter of God's word. Don't just live based on feeling. Live based on the truth. But if you don't know the truth, then how will the truth ever set you free? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Satan has clever tactics. He wants to distract, he wants to blind, he wants to turn you from the truth, and he wants to divide the church of Jesus Christ. You know, if he's got somebody distracted, he's won. You know, if he's got you divided against your brother, he's won as well. Boy, he loves to get into a church and find somebody that's kind of out on the edge. Well, he doesn't take him out of church. No, he just begins to distract him or lie to him or, hey, you know that other guy at church, you're better than he is, don't you know that? You serve more than they do and, and you don't get the recognition that they get. He begins to whisper these things to you and you, maybe not, a, not in an audible voice, but you begin to, your flesh is desiring something for yourself and he begins to divide. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 2, Verse 9 through 11, and this is part of a, a much broader context here, but he's speaking about disagreement in the church and people who are upset with one another. He says, For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you and whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave it I in the person of Christ lest Satan should get an advantage of us. And then he finishes off, he says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He wants to divide. This morning, the purpose of the message is that we not be ignorant of his devices. You know where the enemy's coming from and what he's trying to do, helping you to recognize those lies and those distractions that he's bringing and say, no, instead I want to pursue Christ with all that I have. He wants to divide you, and he does it through unforgiveness sometimes. Paul's speaking here, and he's writing in this second letter in 2 Corinthians, and he talks to them, he says, listen, I know I was hard on you in the first letter that I wrote to you, and first you were in sin. He said, I'm writing to you from a distance and I heard about the problems and so I wrote to address these issues. But I want you to know, I'm not really mad at you. I just want you to follow Jesus. And so if there's somebody doing wrong and you've forgiven them and they've made it right, then I want you to know, I forgive them also. Because what could happen, right? Paul's writing from a distance and people could say, well, you know, it was Paul. Paul was talking about you in 1 Corinthians, and you're still, you know, you're doing wrong. So Paul likes us more than he likes you. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I know what Satan's devices are. I know how he wants to divide the church by pitting people one against another. Remember, in the book of 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of division in the churches. Some people said, well, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos. We're of Jesus Christ. You know, these people were all on their own little tangent, their own little thing. Paul says, no, we need to have a close relationship with one another because all Satan wants to do is to divide us, get people saying, well, I know we go to the same church, but I sure wish everybody was as spiritual as me. Mm. You know, where were they last week? 
Well, have you called them? Just checked. They were probably homesick as a dog and really would have rather been here. It just couldn't be here. Maybe they're going through something in their life. Do you care about others or do you just care about yourself and making sure, well, as long as I stay a step ahead of them, I'm okay. Listen, the Christian life and fighting the spiritual battle is not like two guys in the forest who run across a bear and the one guy says, well, I'm okay because I'm faster than my friend. And so that bear's going to stop. No, that's not how it is fighting the devil. It's not just being faster than the guy next to you. No, we're in a spiritual battle fighting for the soul's of men and women, boys and girls that need to know Jesus Christ. It's not about me just being a little better than my friend. Well, if anybody's going to be eating, at least it's him. Not me. No. It's about us following Christ together. Boy, he wants to divide the church, doesn't he? Amen. Let's go back to our passage in Acts. Look at chapter 23, verse 1. Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That sounds good. Then look at what happens, verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. This was quite a trial. Then Paul said to him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they stood by, said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not. I, I didn't realize that, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Paul's going through this trial, and he gets slapped in the face for just speaking the truth. So he turns around and looks at the guy who commanded to be slapped in the face and said, God's going to slap you in the face. But then they say to him, listen, this is the high priest. And Paul corrects himself. He says, you're not to rebuke the Lord's anointed. Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. It's interesting that Paul is allowing himself here to be governed by the Word of God instead of by the natural human emotions and responses. That would come natural to all of us. I mean, we could all look at this and say, well, Ananias did deserve to be slapped in the face. Amen. But that, that's not for us to decide. You know, our emotions, common sense, a lot of things can all help us, but they can't be our guide. The Word of God has to be our guide. And I would say this about our enemy, that the enemy will win some battles. He's going to win some battles. Paul, he's imprisoned for his faith. Paul was taken out of the ability to travel on his missionary journeys. I think Satan, as he fights against God's work, he tries to take God's servants out of commission through family problems, through physical problems, through financial problems. You feel like, well, with all this going on, I, 
I don't know how I'm going to continue on in what God's called me to do. Have you ever felt like that? I've tried hard in the past. I've tried to minister to people in the past, and they just turned on me. So, Pastor, thanks for asking me to do this thing, but I don't really want to do it because it's, it's too painful. It's too painful. It's too difficult. Maybe you felt like that. Maybe at one point you were serving the Lord and following Him and you thought others were doing it with you and then they backed away and you sort of were left holding the bag and you thought, well, I don't know if I want to continue doing anything because every time I put myself out there, I get taken advantage of. Remember how Paul ended up in prison in the first place? It was because he followed the advice of the Christian leaders in Jerusalem who doubted whether Paul was preaching a clear gospel or not. So they put him through this weird test where he had to go with the guys who had shaved their head and spend time at the temple to try to prove that he was Jewish enough for everybody else. And it was because of that time that his enemies then used to pull him and throw him in prison. And you don't read during these pages of any of the believers in Jerusalem other than Paul's nephew who comes to his aid. You think, what happened to all the other Christians? I can imagine that the devil might have been trying to tempt Paul during this time, saying, Paul, see, these people don't really care. Yeah, you've preached the gospel, but they're not going to change. It's easy to think that. Satan will win some battles. The enemy will win some battles. But this morning, we need to be reminded that the enemy will lose the war. Take you back to Paul's story. We looked at this last week in Acts chapter 9. Remember as God spoke to Ananias and he told Paul to tell this, Hey Paul, you're going to preach the gospel before Gentiles, Jews, and before kings. God gave Paul that opportunity through this. You know how we know that the gospel is not bound? Because the gospel has made it down to us. It didn't stop with Paul. It didn't stop with the church in Acts. Acts is just the beginning of the church. Now, I don't know, but if Jesus comes back someday soon, we may get to witness the end of the church as we're raptured out together to spend eternity with Him. That'd be a great day. What a day that will be when my Jesus, I will see. But we know that the enemy will lose the war. Even in Paul's example through this story, over and over, Paul is protected. He's carried from place to place. God takes care of him. Why? Because as we looked at last week, God will always accomplish his purpose. Did God accomplish his purpose with Job? Yes, he did. Did Job go through some great trials because of what God allowed Satan to do in Job's life? Absolutely. Even Job's friends and his own wife forsook him. His wife says, curse God and die. Job himself came to the point, he said, I I wish I'd never been born. We've been studying through Jeremiah on Sunday nights. Jeremiah came to a place just like that as well. He said, I I wish that I'd never been born. But in Jeremiah chapter 1, God says, Jeremiah, I formed you before you were even made. I formed you and I had a purpose for you to be be a prophet. Did God fulfill his purpose with Jeremiah? Did he fulfill his purpose with Job? Yes. Did he fulfill his purpose with Paul? Yes. Even in spite of all of the attacks of the enemy, 
And God will fulfill his purpose through you as well. And God, in a greater sense, will fulfill his purpose through this world. Someday, he will come again. And he'll take all of his children home to be with him. We'll spend an eternity in heaven rejoicing with him. He's going to win. Let me read to you the way that the scripture describes it in two different passages. One in Philippians chapter 2. He says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the scripture telling us very clearly Christ wins. But one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible that deals with the devil is Revelation 12, 9. This gives us great hope. He says, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. It's as if he included every name for me he could think of to make sure you knew who he was talking about, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. This is what happens when the devil tries to stand against God. And God says, no, I'm going to cast you out. And there's coming a day, as you read later on in Revelation, where Satan will be locked away in the lake of fire in hell for all eternity. And will be with the Lord forever. The enemy's perspective. Now, in Paul's story, you don't specifically see the devil mentioned, but you see his work. As you read through these chapters, if you haven't, I encourage you to this afternoon, you'll see a lot of lies being told about Paul. They lie about him over and over and over again. You'll see people who claim that they want to help Paul, but they're too distracted by the political things of their world. They're too distracted by trying to gain power for themselves that they won't help Paul. Even several times they admit that Paul is right and there's nothing that he's done that's deserving of the punishment that he's facing. But they still continue on. Why? Because they were allowing themselves to be used as ministers of Satan. We face a real enemy. He's powerful. But our God has so much more power than the devil could ever dream of having. Today, I think our prayer ought to be this. Lord, help me to be aware of the tactics of the enemy. Help me to put on the whole armor of God. Help me to realize I'm in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual battle. Your family, they're in a spiritual battle. And prepare yourself accordingly. How do we do that? Well, as we looked at the beginning of 1 Peter 5, be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Don't live out on the edge of your spiritual life. Live as close to Christ as you can and walk even closer with Him every single day. You say, well, 
I've struggled a little bit. I, I'm not where I want to be. The only thing that, that's keeping you from a close relationship with God is you. You're as close to God as you want to be. The devil's fighting, sure. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. With you and God, you're on the winning side. He's winning, and he will win. But your perspective does matter, doesn't it? Because if you live daily without feeding on the Word of God, if you live daily distracted by whatever's going on around you, if you live daily without carefully looking over and over and over again at the Word of God, at the truth of God, at the reality of what God has done for you, if you live daily without a thankful heart for God's faithfulness to you, you often find yourself defeated, discouraged, divided, and deceived by the enemy that we face. If you're here this morning, I just want to invite you to die, or to, now to pray with me and ask the Lord for his help. In a few moments, we're going to observe the Lord's table together. The Bible is very clear. We're not to do this if we're carrying sin in our heart. We need to confess it to the Lord. This is a serious matter. It's a serious time. It's serious because this is real. We're in a real battle. And we need God's help. We need to walk with Him or we will be defeated. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, help us now. Help us as we remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We thank you for your word that shows us so much even about the enemy that we face. Paul faced that enemy. We face that enemy. Lord, I'm thankful for your salvation, not just from our sin, but salvation from the power of this world. Lord, and the strength that comes through walking in the Spirit and the hope of eternal life that we have through Jesus Christ. I pray that every Christian here this morning would not live their life just, well, I'm saved, but now just live however I want, defeated and discouraged. No, Lord, help us to look to you and walk with you that we might actually fulfill what you've called us to do now as your children, to point others towards Christ. Lord, we can't do that if we're defeated and discouraged. Thank you, Lord, for revealing this truth to us, making it so clear from your word. And may we be faithful to follow it. In Jesus' name I pray.